Martin Luther was known to have said, next to the Word of God, the the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. And I thank uh, our worship team for always uh, opening up that treasure for us each week. Uh, If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, we're going to do. Uh, we're going to move around for a little bit in the scriptures in the next couple weeks, um, so you can obviously follow along on the screens or in your copy uh, of God's Word. Uh, but before we read the passage, uh, um, I want to tell you about a, an article I read a, a couple months ago that scared me to death. Uh, and uh, the article was a story about a man named Kyle Dickman, and he and his family. Uh, are well-known hikers out west. And uh, if you know me, I've always kind of been fascinated with hiking in the woods and going trail running. And uh, there's something about the freedom and the spontaneity uh, of that. And uh, so if you can't get a hold of me, I'm probably on a trail somewhere uh, having disappeared. But I think I also like it because there's part of it that scares me. You know, you're out there, you're all by yourself. If something goes wrong, you're kind of stuck with no one around to help you. And that's why Kyle Dickman's story was uh, so scary for me. He was uh, out with his wife and and newborn child. I think the child was eight or nine months old. um, When all of a sudden he felt a little tap on his ankle and looked down to see that he had been bitten by a venomous snake. And instantly he started to feel the effects of it. And they were, and he and his family were, were in the middle of nowhere. There was nowhere for them to uh, call for help or rescue. In fact, um, uh, someone who was with him had to run for miles just to get cell phone service to call out uh, to get some rescue. And so as he's sitting there, his, his uh, life is really slipping away from him. All of a sudden, he hears the sound of the rotors of a helicopter, the life flight helicopter that had come uh, to rescue him. And uh, it was such a relief to him to hear that very thing with really probably just an hour of life uh, left in him. And so that story, of course, scared me, but it also encouraged me because we love stories like this. We love stories of deliverance. And in his case, it's a story of deliverance that had come from above, a story of hope arriving just uh, in the last moments when it feels like all hope is lost. And what's so beautiful is the Bible is full of stories, deliverance stories that are just like this. And those deliverance stories are from above as well. And the one we're going to look at this morning and over the next few weeks uh, is taken from the book of Exodus. So our passage this morning uh, really is one of the first chapters in this beautiful long story in the book of Exodus. Um, so I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear your voice uh, this morning. Uh, We come to worship uh, with all sorts of anxieties and cares and burdens that seem to weigh into our hearts. The the crisis of our circumstances and our situations uh, just seems so loud, Father, that it drowns everything else out. But I pray that as we come to your word this morning, uh, that you uh, would speak strongly to our hearts, that we would hear your voice above all other things, that you would speak to us, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, and that you would confront us uh, and comfort us when we need to be comforted. So we pray that you would speak to us in your word this morning, in Christ's name, amen. Uh, Many Bible scholars uh, believe that uh, second to the story of the cross of Jesus Christ, that the Exodus story may be the most important of stories in the Scriptures. And so what I'd like to do over the next four weeks is to look at this Exodus story in its various chapters. We're going to have to skip some big chapters because you don't have a whole lot of time. But nonetheless, it's an incredibly powerful and important story in God's Word. And for God's people, who really are the central characters or the the central receivers, at least, in this story, uh, when the story begins, they really didn't know a whole lot about the God who was about to rescue them in this Exodus event. But by the end of it, they had learned volumes about who this God is as he revealed himself to them over and over again in really powerful ways. And if this God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then it also means something to us as well. It serves as a really important reminder to all of us about what kind of God that we are called to both serve and worship. And so really as we approach our text this morning, one of the first things that we learn about this God is this, that He is a God who both sees and hears. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. If you've ever read the Old Testament before, you know this, that it tells the story about one particular family that becomes a great nation, and that nation is called the Hebrew nation or the Israelite nation. 
And one of the things that we believe is that they, they were an actual people group, an actual nation that, that lived in time and space and history. But they are much more than that. They offer a, a symbolic truth to us as well. And what I mean by that is they often serve as a paradigm, uh, as an example, or to a demonstration for all of us about what a relationship with God really looks like day in and day out. And so when the book of Exodus opens, this family had grown into a great nation that was probably numbering in the millions, many people believe. Uh, But this nation was certainly not in a good position. We learn that they had become uh, a slave race to the Egyptian empire, which really was uh, the most powerful empire in the ancient world at this time. Originally, when they arrived in Egypt, they were uh, the honored guests of the Egyptians. Because we learn at the end of the book of Genesis that there was a worldwide famine uh, that lasted around seven years. And Joseph became a really important character, one of Abraham's great-great-grandchildren, named Joseph. Uh, and he becomes the instrument uh, of God's preservation uh, for this great family. And he brought his family into Goshen which was a territory of Egypt, um, so they could be protected by the wealth and uh, by the abundance of the Egyptians. And Joseph himself also became the instrument in which the Egyptians survived this great famine. So when he brings his family to Egypt, they are welcomed and celebrated as honored guests. But once the book of Exodus begins, centuries have passed. Some people think as many as 400 years had passed. And this family had grown into a great nation, but we learn that they had now become severely oppressed by the Egyptians. Uh, They were subject uh, to the harshest of work environments. They had little to no freedom. Uh, Little to no opportunity for any rest. They were certainly considered to be second-class or even lower-class citizens. They were considered to be inferior to everyone else around them. And we also note that they had become victims of, of Pharaoh's attempt at population control. Pharaoh was having their children executed Uh, to control their population and their numbers. And and to make matters worse for God's people, uh, the God whom they had worshipped had virtually gone silent. For hundreds and hundreds of years, he had gone silent. And they were left wondering, where did this God that they had heard about from their fathers and their great-grandfathers, where had this God gone? Why was he so silent? But of course, we always know with God that reality is often different than perception, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. And so it tells us in Exodus chapter 2 this, During those many days the king of Egypt had died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. God knew. Think about all the verbs that you heard in that passage. God heard. God remembered. God saw. God knew. You see, I think we often get lost into thinking that God is aloof 
to what is going on in our lives day in and day out. We might believe that he's become too busy to pay any mind to you and I. Uh, maybe we've, we're no longer worthy of his attention because we have screwed up too much in life or we've been unfaithful to him. Maybe so unfaithful to him that he's given up on us. He doesn't want to spend the time on us anymore. But what do we see in our passage here? We see that, that God hears, that God sees, that God knows That God is intimately involved in the most minute details of each and every one of our lives. He knows the inner workings of our minds and our hearts. And he has particular care for those that are feeling and experiencing oppression in whatever form that may take. But I think what we also see here is that it's one thing to see, know, and hear But it's another thing to see God act as well. And that's what's so powerful about our passage here. God just doesn't observe it, but instead he chooses to act on it. And so the next thing we see is that God issues a call, a specific call. And you see it in verse 9 where God says this to Moses. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression of with the Egyptians oppressing them, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, I don't know how much you know about Moses, but he becomes one of the central characters in this story. And when you look at his own personal story, you immediately realize that he is a very unlikely rescuer or unlikely hero in this story. When the passage opens up, really Moses is a a fugitive who is hiding out in the wilderness. If you go back to the beginning of of the book of Exodus, you learn uh, that Moses had a very unique birth and uh, was uniquely raised in the the home of Pharaoh, uh, being miraculously protected from that population control uh, at the hands of the Egyptians. But as Moses grows up, he, you discover he kind of has a problem uh, with anger. And one day, in a fit of rage, uh, he kills another person. And he tries to cover up the body, tries to bury the body in the ground. Um, but his crime is ultimately found out uh, by others. So what does Moses do? He runs away. He becomes a fugitive. He gets out of town. And the passage tells us he, he runs into the wilderness. And uh, while he's there... Uh, He marries a a woman named Zipporah, who was uh, the daughter of a Midianite uh, priest. And Moses is really happy to play out uh, the string of his life as a shepherd leading an incredibly simple life, content to hide out in the wilderness and to be outside of anyone else's notice. And so he's quite happy to put the rest of his life behind him, to put his former life and his former mistakes behind him until one day God calls him to be the instrument of rescue for the Hebrew people. Now, when Moses gets this call, he is incredulous, right? He, he, he wants no part of it. In fact, uh, if we kept reading, you'd see that Moses continues to kind of negotiate with God. He's like, are you sure you want me to do this? Can, can you find somebody else to do this? He's coming up with all of these excuses as to why he does not want to respond 
to the call of God in his life. Now, as you read it, generally, the, the reader gets kind of impatient with Moses. Come on, Moses. Come on, Moses. Let's, let's get with the program. This is God who's talking to you. You should respond positively. But I want you to take a minute to put yourself in Moses' shoes in this story. Because like we said, Moses is a criminal. He's a fugitive. If he goes back to Egypt, uh, maybe he'd have to face the punishment for his crimes. And also think about the the caliber of what he is being asked to do. He is being asked to deliver a million people from the strongest empire in the ancient world. Sure, he's going to have the power of God on his side, but this God is a God who had been largely silent for centuries. So even the Israelite people were going to be remarkably skeptical about this message that Moses was about to bring them. And so not only was Moses a really unlikely rescuer, but the task was impossible in every sort of way. So when we look at Moses, we have to be at least sympathetic towards what he is feeling when God places this call upon his life. We have to imagine what what it was like for him in his shoes as he receives these uh, marching orders from God, as it were. But that is why in the midst of this call, God does something really powerful for Moses. God reminds him of some things And he reveals to him more and more of his character. Look at verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. You see, what the passage tells us is Moses is taken to the far side of the mountain. He sees a bush that is burning, and yet at the same time, the bush is not consumed. Uh, theologians call this a, a theophany. It's a, it's a physical representation of the power and the character of God. And I think in the midst of this spectacle, Moses is reminded of three really powerful things that, that he really needed to be reminded of in this moment. The first thing he's reminded of is that God is a relational God. I will be with you. I will be with you as you go back to Egypt. So he's reminded that God is relational, but he's also reminded very clearly and palpably that God is holy. This God who he's encountered is holy. Moses has to remove his shoes in the presence of God. He is so overwhelmed by the sheer power and might of God's holiness that at one point he feels the need to simply hide his face, to shield his eyes from the sight in which he is beholding. And what that had to do for Moses is it had to reinforce to him this, that God is bigger than his circumstances, that God is more powerful and bigger and more holy and mighty than even the mighty empire of Egypt, that God was bigger than his circumstances, even bigger than nationwide enslavement. And isn't that an encouragement for you and I as well as we face all sorts of circumstances that might seem impossible to us? Circumstances that might feel like they could never change, that nothing is going to ever bring us any sort of movement or change, and yet we serve a God who is always bigger 
than our circumstances. So Moses is reminded that God is relational, that he's holy, that he's bigger than his circumstances. But finally, he's also reminded that God is faithful to his promises. You see, hundreds of years earlier than that, God made a promise to Moses' great-great-great-grandfather Abraham. And that promise is that he would always take care of his people. He would always bless them. He would always look after them. And at one point, he would give them a promised land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And even in, in Genesis chapter 46, when Jacob is bringing the family down to Egypt to live amongst the Egyptians, God reminds him, I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again, reaffirming that promise that was made to Abraham. And what it reminds us is this, that when God makes promises, he always keeps them. When God makes promises, he always keeps them. So this most certainly is at least the most significant moment of Moses' life up to this point. He was entering retirement. He was ready to pack it in when God stepped into his life and disrupted everything. But in the process, Moses' eyes were open to the character of who this God is. He's a God who remembers, who hears, who sees, who knows. He's a God who is relational and yet holy, powerful, and set apart. And he is a God who remains faithful to his promises. And now... He is calling Moses to what had to be the greatest adventure of his life. Now, you heard me said earlier that uh, uh, the most Bible scholars agree that second to the cross of Jesus Christ, the Exodus story may be the most important story in all of the scriptures. And part of the reason why it is so important is because it points so clearly to what is the most important story in the scriptures. It points so clearly to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because what the gospel story fundamentally tells us is that when you and I cry out to God for deliverance, God hears. He hears that prayer It certainly reminds us of the holiness of God, the impurity and the poverty of our own souls as we stand before a holy God. And so when we have that feeling, we discover immediately how much we individually need deliverance, that we individually need the rescue of God. And so when we cry out to God for rescue, he not only hears but he responds and he sends rescue. This beautiful little detail that you read in the next chapter. So you go on to Exodus chapter 4 and you get to verse 20. And there's this, this tiny little detail that's, I think, very easy to miss when we read the Exodus story. But it's one of my favorite in all the stories. It, it says this. So Moses, after hearing the call of God in an obedience returning back to Egypt, in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 20, it says this. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. Now, why, does, why is that significant? Well, I think it's significant because 1,500 years later after this event, 
another man would ride into another city to accomplish deliverance. That city was the city of Jerusalem. And that man who was riding on that donkey was Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh. So just as Moses entered into Egypt to accomplish deliverance from a very physical oppression, Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem to accomplish the greatest deliverance from the greatest oppression, spiritual oppression, the oppression of sin and death. And so the gospel story becomes the ultimate revelation, the ultimate picture of the character of God, because it shows to us that God is relational. It shows to us that God is faithful to his promises to rescue his people, promises that he made all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It shows us that God is radically present. And perhaps the most powerful thing the gospel shows us is this, that it shows us that God is one who hears when we cry out for rescue. He is a God who is present and sends deliverance. Let's pray.